Oh, that was my that was my uh, my screen. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Bible and Banter. I think today we're going to do a little bit more Bibling than bantering. I hope at least um, we were gently corrected by a dear brother of ours before we came on air. Not Lou Going, by the way. He's the big banterite here. Um, big banter <laughs> fan. I mean, uh, we are joined for a second week in a row, which makes today Happy Lose Day instead of Tuesday. Happy Lose Day. You know what? It's also our first show of 2021. Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that, Luke. Mm-hmm. I wonder. I wonder if in our opening questions we should change them from this week to this year. Uh, well, seems how it's only five days. No, really... sorry. By this year, I meant 2020. Oh. Okay, well, hey, we're going to try and get right into last week we or this will be the second straight week we're covering hermeneutic, which is the study of the Bible, how to how we study the Bible. Last week we focused a little bit more on how we're actually understanding the meaning of the text. So, if you want, you can go back and listen to that episode. Uh Luke, have you put that up on iTunes yet? Uh I don't remember, but if I didn't, by the end of the day it will be. Okay. All right. Thank you, Luke. Uh, but today we're going to focus a little bit more on application and then answer some questions people had. Some people had some great questions last week. Mike Alex had some terrible ones. Um, so so maybe we'll, maybe we'll address some of the terrible ones as well. So without further ado, let's get into how we like to start the episode, which is with some light stuff. So guys, tell me what's new. Don't everybody go go at once. I'm, I'm trying to remember if I've already announced this on the show or not. I think that last week I did that my my uh, middle son has is potty trained. That just happened this week, and that's a game changer. Game changer. So less diapers. A lot less. That's good. Congratulations. Thank you. You welcome. What's, can what's you, new can with you, you Lou? Can you Ooh, I, like, I like all the rhyming words. Woohoo. <laughs> you too. I have one of those one of those names that you can rhyme easily. Uh, well, uh, what is new? Uh, on a sad note, we, I lost my father-in-law this uh, a week ago or so. And Santa, some of them might some people might know him. Uh, but on a positive note, uh, I'm going to be a grandfather again. So that's good. My son and his wife are having a baby girl in April. So those two things are new. E dog, congratulations on the on the new grand. You skipped over that, Luke. Over what? You skipped over the new grandbaby. I didn't skip anything. That's pretty exciting, man. Well, congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Uh, what's new for me? Um, I found out a great story about Luke and how there is. Everybody knows two things about Luke. He, um, three things, right? He doesn't read very often, but somehow was still valedictorian of his high school. That's number two. And three, he is a world-class long-distance runner. Um, he was like a state champion or something something like that, and even went to college and got like some scholarships to go and do that stuff. Um, and knowing that, there is a Christian men's running group that meets a couple of times a week, maybe once a week, I'm not quite sure, in Lenore, the, where he pastors, along with Dan McGee, who's a big banter right Onian and watches the show uh, avidly, where um, these guys get together and run throughout the town, and they even pray for people, and they, they like went someplace this morning and prayed for, uh, I forget, what where'd they pray? Oh, at the they just set up uh, a field hospital. For COVID patients in our county. Yeah, so for a field hospital uh, for COVID patients within the county. And um, and they run right by Luke's house where he lives. And not only that, they meet in his church's parking lot, which is about an hour away. And he only showed up one time. And um, the one time he showed up, they gave him grief because there was a light out at the church. And now they call him light bulb. That, that very last thing you said was accurate. It's hard to say whether anything else was, but for the sake of time, we'll have to move on. 
<laughs> but they ran by your house and woke everybody woke everybody up this morning. Just, just the dog and the baby. Okay, that's well. I mean, if you knew that the dog and baby were awake, then you were awake. It's true. Okay, fair enough. All right, moving on. That's what's new. Uh, nothing really. Uh, I mean, the grandbaby was pretty exciting. What's good? Tell me something good. What's something good that has happened to you in the last week? Hmm. I Dang, feel God, like this, this, this question this feels awful, like a repeat. Man. This question feels like a repeat of the first one. What's yeah. what, one? I told you guys before I came on air. This isn't the first time. Listen, Luke gets a pass. You don't, Luke. Um, <laughs> this is. I mean, we prepare. I prepared you guys for this. So, what's something good outside of potty training and a new grandbaby? What's something good? Something's got to be good. Well, I have the ability still to shovel and snow i'm thankful for that that's that's good i'm thankful all right I'll, yeah yeah i'll tell you something good my wife can cook uh-huh and she's never she's never been a bad cook i mean from the beginning of our marriage she knew how to cook but she's getting really good mm -hmm. i mean i'm eating well so shout out to Lindsay. is that why you're not running anymore it's because you've gained too much weight I declined to answer that question. <laughs> We're going to get Dan McGee to give you a hard time to get you out there uh, running, man. Um, yeah, so good for me. I did not preach this past Sunday. So uh, our new associate pastor, who I don't know how long you consider someone new for. He's been here since, like, I think October. Um, he preached this past wow. Sunday and did a, he had a banger of a sermon, man. I mean, I'll tell you what, I think I got saved like three times in the middle of his message. It was just, it was amazing. Um, I, it, it, was, it was just, it was good. It was such a good sermon that he confused any biblical understanding of salvation for you so that you had to <laughs> convert over and over again. In the course of it. Over and over. No, he, he closed out, you know, we just finished a series through the epistles of John. And so, so he did the entire, um, uh, all of third John, which is really only like 12 or 13 verses, um, did a phenomenal job, just served up the word of God on a platter for us to feast on, on the Lord's day. It was incredible. So it's good. Yeah. So with that said, what's in the word? What is the word, my dudes? What has the Lord been teaching you either, uh, through others, um, from the word of God or in your own study? So, I am doing a study of the book of Genesis with a bunch of young married couples in my church. And I sort of knew this was the case, but it's really becoming clearer to me now more than ever how much of the, um, you know, the, the plummeting of the world into just self-destruction, um, how much of it can be, placed upon the shoulders of men who would not take the responsibility and authority God had given them with seriousness and sobriety. I mean, if you look at um, Adam's family, Abraham's family, Isaac's family, over and over again, the, the, the failures within the families, while they're certainly not all dad's faults, right? Obviously, there are people wives and children who are acting in sin, but so much of it really comes down to fathers and husbands um, uh, saying, not my problem, not my fault. And it's amazing how over and over again that's happening. And it's really challenging my, uh, you know, how seriously do I take my responsibility as a father and a husband and the spiritual head of my household? That's good. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. Uh, I have been uh, on a journey of examining uh, the prayers of the New Testament, uh, not only the Lord's Prayer, but particularly Paul's prayers, and uh, using them in my own personal meditation and my own personal um, prayer life. I've been impressed uh, with uh, the insight and, and, and how um, clarifying uh, his prayers really are, or, or the prayers of the New Testament. Uh, primarily Paul's and Jesus's. So that's been my focus really for the last few months, actually. Um, and it's prayer for the Philippians that, that their love might abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight that they could discern what is best. I just really 
like that's interesting that 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 Paul sees love increasing, biblical love increasing, giving us insight into being able to choose the best response to things. And I, I just thought that was really helpful to me. I've been praying along, along those lines more and more. Mm. That's good. Uh, so I'm closing out in my own personal devotional time reading through um, the book of Acts. I usually read it like three or four times a year. Um, it's, I th it's the only book that I read that many times in one year usually. Um, but just the more I read it, the more I realize how fallen our church has become. Um, and I'm not talking about, our, you know, Hickory Grove, my church in particular, but I just mean like our group of churches, you know, from um, how expectant the early church was to see people come to faith and how fervent they were in sharing the gospel. Mm -hmm. uh, there was, there was no penalty for sharing the gospel um, too severe to stop them from, from, from having their zeal poured out into the world and seeing the Holy spirit move. And mm -hmm. I think that we're just in a position where we're cynical at best um, often enough. And we we're, we're very pessimistic. We don't think that, okay, if I share the gospel, they're probably just gonna, you know, you know, they're not going to care. And they very well might not, but there's this sense in the new Testament where you, or especially in the book of Acts where you go, okay, so what? That shouldn't stop you from sharing the gospel. Um, you have no idea what the Lord's going to do with that later on. Um, and if you share the gospel with 100 people and only one came to faith, you witnessed a miracle. Um, we often want to see the miraculous. Well, the miraculous is the salvation of God's people according to his purposes, his will, and his work. So um, very encouraging. And, and definitely one of the things for me, and I say this to other pastors, I've had this conversation with you guys, not on air, but um, I am now. Like, <clears throat> I remember when I joined the army, I wanted to be a paratrooper because that's where the best of the best went. Like, that's you went with those folks because they weren't going to be just sitting on their rear ends waiting for something to happen. They took the initiative, they took the fight to the enemy. And, um, I long to be part of an association of churches that, that has that same kind of posture. Um, let's take the fight to the enemy. Uh, they're, 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 Jesus promises us that the gates of hell cannot prevail against his kingdom. You either believe it or you don't. And I don't think that we believe it. So hmm. let me, let me All tell right, you more on here. Since, <laughs> since it's our first show of 2021, one final question. What is one lesson you learned in 2020? So I, I'll go ahead and go first since I just asked it. I think for me, my great lesson was just a reminder of the importance of Acts chapter 6, the delineation of roles within the church, and the importance of um, as a spiritual leader protecting your role and your time. This has been a crazy year, and there have certainly been moments when I think we've all had to do things that were not quote-unquote normal for our jobs or our lives. And I certainly think we should be flexible and, as, as Jesus teaches, willing to do the dirty work, right? But at the same time, uh, I was hired by the, the church and, more importantly, called by God to a very particular role as a pastor, a shepherd, a spiritual leader. And it's important that I protect my time so that that's what I'm doing. And that was a really important lesson, I think, in 2020, one that maybe I already knew, but it was it – was, uh, what I knew in my head, I think, made the transition to heart this year. Hmm. What was your question again? What is <laughs> one lesson you learned in 2020? I thought that was it. I, um, well, I don't so much of the lesson I learned, but it's a it's a um, reality that I've been that I've come to see more clearly, and it came from my reading of John Newton and his letters. Uh, Three things he said that Christians, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can do, that we can do. Uh, the first is that we can, by God's grace, find the Lord Jesus and the sovereign God to be our, our, our uh, satisfaction. You know, that, that God is our, going to be our, our satisfaction in this life and in the life to come. The second thing is that we can acquiesce to his sovereign will. We, we can truly acquiesce to his sovereign will, being convinced of his wisdom, 
of his goodness, of his holiness, and of his sovereignty, you know, affirming those things. Hmm. And then finally, uh, making it our aim to whether we eat or drink to do all to his glory. Hmm. Uh, and that's, like the, that's kind of the guiding principle of all we do. So uh, those are things which have come back to me in a fresh way uh, this past year. So, Lou, there was so much wisdom in that answer, but none of it matches the wisdom of Moose's answer. Do you do you see the comments? If you go over on the side, make sure you click on comments. Toilet paper, okay. <laughs> now that that that's the real emphasize the importance of toilet paper. That's though. the real lesson from 2020, right there. <laughs> Um, well, that's a good one, Lou and Luke. Um, you know, I hadn't prepared for this, but I think just going off, uh, you know, I think one, I don't know. I, there's, there's, there's a lot to consider one, one lesson that I I've learned over the course of the last year. Um, you know, I, I've had a lot of disappointment in the last year um, in the church, not my church, but just in the in the larger evangelical church. I've had uh, people I really admire let me down in how they have attacked other people through social media and other means um, in a time where we should be showing more grace, you know, regarding, you know, how we're doing church in the midst of this. So I've, I've had a lot of disappointment. Um but maybe something that I've learned is that my, my views of other people, um, they don't have to wear those views. I do. And it really doesn't matter all that much. And um, you can, you can appreciate the good things that people do, whether it's in theology or in other aspects of the ministry and <clears throat> love them in spite of their failings. And, but not have to endorse all that they say, you know, um, particularly I think of John MacArthur, you know, I've benefited greatly. I've got his, the first study Bible I ever had was a MacArthur study Bible. Um, I've appreciated from his sermons and, and just his ministry over the years, but seeing how his church um, has responded to other churches in the midst of COVID uh, recently, there was a report that they are telling people to not, go and get tested for COVID, or if they do, not to say that they went to church as a as a way to protect them. Um, and that's become very troubling. Um, to me. So um, that was from the Roy's report, who's uh, an investigative journalist, a Christian investigative journalist. Um, so they're, they're, you know, I've had to so what was, what was your lesson? I know you said it, but then we got derailed by something. Uh I don't even know, man. A lesson of disappointment. <laughs> just, just people let you down, man. Eric's <laughs> lesson is that the world's a terrible place and people can't be trusted. Well, my hope isn't in John MacArthur. It's not in, I mean, it's not in anybody else. My hope is in Christ. So there you um, go. it's been a difficult year for me. Everybody knows, like my mom passed away this year and that's been hard. Um, and it's carrying over into 2021 as we have to go through and, you know, um, sell our stuff and all this other, all the stuff that comes with, with a parent and trying to do it from a long distance away. It's hard. It's really hard, but, um, the Lord's been gracious and merciful and, um, he causes us to persevere. So I don't know if Mike misspelled Biden or is trying to write something else, but I have no idea what Biden's 2021 means. So we'll have hey, to clarify that today. You filthy animal. <laughs> you know what a bidet is? Get some cold. No. Yeah. Oh, is it the thing you attach to your toilet? Yeah, and it's supposed to, you know, wash. Oh. Your yeah. Okay. I don't. I don't speak French because they waste letters, so it's a, it's a silly language. <laughs> I don't. I don't speak French because they're weak and they hate America. And I really hope Lou does not have French somewhere in his heritage. I do. <laughs> All right. Well, did you just say bye? Isn't that how you say bye in French? Adieu. Oh man. Let's <laughs> let's um on, on the subject of, of the bidet, maybe we should we should move into Bible now and try to get out of the banter. Although you guys you oh, guys man. giving really deep, profound answers about about spiritual lessons from 2020 and so Christ-centered. I appreciate that about you guys. Um we're picking up our discussion of hermeneutics, which is a fancy word for interpreting. 
And of course, we're talking about biblical hermeneutics, interpreting the Bible, Patriot Vice 2021. Uh, you missed it, Mike. We had a discussion of nationalism on, on a different show. It's not this one. This show, we're talking about hermeneutics. And I think we wanted to start today with application because we uh, last week we broke down historical grammatical method and we talked about what you know just the basic question of what is hermeneutics how do we do it but um lou i think made a great point last week about the fact that while the bible's not about us it is for us in the sense that when we read it it's not just so that we'll gain knowledge it's so that we will learn to do what god says and so uh, I think that seems like a good place to start is once we have properly exegeted or done our uh, the, the step of hermeneutics, which is simply to understand to the best of our ability the original intended meaning of the author, what then are the next steps to try to bring that meaning from, for example, first century Corinth here into 21st century America? Take it away, Lou. No way. Well, I, I think, first of all, I think scripture always needs to be um, applied. And I think that without that, um, it's feedback. Are you getting feedback? I'm getting feedback, yes. I don't want to make that a distraction. I'm not sure what's going on. All right. Is that better? Let's let's do let's do this real quick. Let's let's all do a, a a test just to see if we can pinpoint where it's coming from. So Eric, you go first. Why don't you sing your ABCs? I'm not going to sing my ABCs, but I will talk. And I'm getting feedback on my end. Ooh, it might be an Eric problem. Let me see. All right. While Eric's while Eric is figuring out his problem, Lou, why don't you go ahead and uh, start answering that question? Well, what I would say is that. The application is always something that we should be striving to, to work out because we really don't understand a passage in one sense until it's applied. In other words, it has to take on some sort of freight in our personal lives, but it has to, cor it has to correspond with the meaning of the original text as well. So there's really only one meaning, but there are multiple applications, hmm. I believe. And, Can and you, would you be willing to give us an example? I mean, what's... Uh... What's a text that you recently studied? It could have been, you know, to teach or just in your own time that uh, and, and whatever text you want to use. The question, I guess, first would be, OK, what is the exegetical meaning or, or the or the hermeneutical conclusion? But then how do you apply that uh, to your own life? Could you can you think of a text that we could maybe do this exercise uh, with briefly? Well, I think, I think for example, of the um, uh, text that I have uh, been talking about in terms of prayer, I mean, Paul's second prayer in Ephesians, where he says, uh, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom his whole family on heaven and earth derives its name. And I ask that out of his glorious riches, he might strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner man. Christ might dwell in your heart through faith. All right, so let's just take that section, that section of the prayer. You know, obviously, you know, the meaning is Paul is seeking uh, in his prayer life that his readers come to a deeper intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. That would be my interpretation of the meaning, okay? That's the meaning. What's Paul's meaning? He's praying that we would have deeper intimacy with Jesus. Um, not that we would become Christians again. We have, in one sense, Jesus is already in us, but Paul even uses a different word there for dwelling in us more intensely, more intimately. So that's the that would be the meaning. And in terms of application, I mean, I, I think one of the clear applications for me was, oh man, Lou, uh, your inner man, your inner life. Do you know anything about it? <laughs> You know, are you aware that you even have an inner life? You know, uh, you know, and, and how I need that strengthened. And as you look at that phrase, inner man, it's used only three times in the New Testament. Paul says in Romans 7 that 
In our inner man, we delight in the law of God. We see another lot working our members, waging war against the law of our mind and taking us captive the law of sin. So the inner man that's renewed delights in God's law, but it needs to be strengthened. He says in Ephesians 2 Corinthians 5 that our outer man is wasting away, mm-hmm. but our man is being made new day by day. So, so one of the applications that I took from that from myself is, Lou, you've got to focus with God's grace on your inner life. I want to know deeper intimacy with Jesus. So I don't know if that's clear, but that to me was an application. The other application for me from that passage is, listen, the Apostle Paul knew that his readers would not understand him. (laughs) You know, his readers, he prayed for them to understand what he's saying because everything in that prayer is based off what he's been saying in the first three chapters, Uh, you know, basically. So uh, I, I take it as an application for me is to begin to pray that way for me and to pray that way for other people. Hey, Lou, pause yeah. for just a minute. I'm, what I'm going to do, Eric, just to see if it's an issue on my end, I'm going to go ahead and get off and switch devices. It and probably see is on your end because you're not wearing headphones. But I, the, I, I think it's more of an issue than that. Whatever the problem is, I'm going to see if going to the setup I used last week makes it any better. Okay. All right. Well, now that Luke's gone, we can talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so tell me a little bit about this passage, Lou, because um, because I pulled it up. So, when we're talking about application, everybody likes practical steps, right? So, when we often think about about application, that's what we often think about. When at least when I construct a sermon, um, what I've done in the last couple of months is I've started. Um, at the end, giving some very practical next steps as far as what the main point, and, and some of them are very practical and some of them are believe this, believe, you know, so, so they're not, they're more up here and in here and they're not necessarily actions, but sometimes they are actions. So um, walk through us in this passage. Um, so some who might be reading this uh, along with us, it's in Ephesians three uh, verse 12, 14, starting there. Um, how do you draw some practical applications if you were going to serve that up one for your own soul, um, but also if you're either preaching or teaching a Bible study, how might you draw those applications as well? Well, I think first of all, I would want to qualify something about application that we often think of application as action steps. Mm-hmm. But they may not be. Mm-hmm. It may just be, you know, hey, you got to ponder this a little more. In depth. Right, right. So I would say, what I, what I was trying to say before the feedback started coming is that a couple of applications for this passage would be, okay, look at your own prayer life and contrast it and compare it to what Paul is praying here. Mm-hmm. You know, how does, how, how does that shape, uh, what does that do in terms of your assessment? So use the passage as an assessment of your own patterns for prayer. Okay, that would be one, an application I think you can make. Uh, a, a very practical one. Uh, second, uh, again, you know, for me anyway, the way I applied it in my own life was to do kind of a personal assessment of my inner life. Do I really understand how I, how I'm to live out of my inner man? What is that inner inner life? Well, I believe it's the regenerate self. I believe it's who we are in Christ Jesus, and uh, how and that's how we live. We live out of the inner life. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, how well am I doing there? Kind of a way of assessment. And then, you know, uh, as I said, the third application is use this, begin to use this as a way of informing my own prayer life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, I think that to go beyond that in my mind is, is to kind of begin to try to play with the meaning of the text. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there, there are certainly things in there that we can infer, like, like, the, like the role of the inner life, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I don't know if that helps, but but... I don't think, I think if we get say, well, now you've got to give people five or th- three things that they need mm-hmm. to do now. Mm-hmm. That may be the case, but I don't see necessarily, the, the practical thing for this prayer for me was, am I praying like this? Or, you know, does this, how, how am I to think about this in terms of shaping my own prayers? And, and what about this whole issue of deeper intimacy with Jesus? Mm-hmm. Because that's what he's praying for, mm-hmm. you know? That's what so, so, uh, I hear what you're saying, Lou, and I agree with you. 
Um, my my question is sometimes it, it can be of benefit to take that to that next. So someone's, I've had this before where someone comes up. So you said that I need deeper intimacy in Jesus, but you didn't tell me how do I get that deeper intimacy with Jesus, right? So, so like when we say, you know, am I praying like Paul? How can we help people, um, you know, with it being our congregation? pray more like that? How can we help them see or reflect on their inner man or inner being as the ESV translates it? Um, how can we help them, you know, reflect on the, uh, reflect on Christ? Um, pause, pause for just a minute. People in the chat watching live, please let us know if the feedback has gone away. Cause if it has, we resolve the problem. And if not, then it's not me. So let us know. The right. end. Okay, I understand what you're saying. I don't know what I'm on the same page with you about that. Okay. I, I, I think that you, you, you and, and, and in a sense, that would look like that particular passage, okay? This may not be true of other passages of Scripture, but mm -hmm. that particular passage for me, you know, if someone comes to me, well, how, how, do I, how, how, do I, how do I develop my inner life? I said, well, look at what Paul's doing. Paul is actually answering that question. Mm-hmm. Okay, he prays. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it, 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 I think there are things to understand what the inner life is, to understand how you know, we need the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. We need to be encouraged that God will answer this kind of prayer mm -hmm. you know, out of his glorious riches, you mm -hmm. know, that he will strengthen you with power mm -hmm. through his spirit. So I, I would just I would I would try to help people work through that that way. I, I mean, like you know, what steps should you take? Should you go home and start praying this prayer? It's not, it's not a mantra for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I don't know if that's helpful. I, I, I don't go much further than that in that text. Um, yeah. So I guess, so I guess Lou, like what I would say, <clears throat> like if, like if I'm preaching and again, I have not studied this passage quite like you have. Right. So um, if I'm not pinpoint accurate, um, you know, that's just the nature of it. We're just kind of shooting from the hip here. But as I walk through, like, how am I applying the text? One, I want to be as faithful as possible. And we all agree with that, all three of us. But I also want to serve it up for people so that they can understand in a very plain way. Um, this is so someone, someone in my congregation might easily say, okay, so to reflect on my inner being and to reflect on Christ. I need to pray. But what does prayer look like? I'm not quite sure. Like no one's ever taught me how to pray. So like for them, I might say, this is how you can pray, right? So if you're looking for ways to pray, we can start, look at this prayer, see how he's praying. He's talking to God in a manner in which he's communing with the father. He's talking to his father. Um, we can read the Psalms, you know, so I might go through that way when, um, as I mentioned, we were going through first through third John, you know, it came up a couple of times as John is, is trying to guard the church against false teachers, right? He talks more about false teachers, but one of the applications that I, that I used a couple of times is listen to know who, it, who a false teacher is and what false teaching is. You have to know what the truth is. How do we know what the truth is? We must ingest the word of God. We must be in the word with prayer. You know, so um, that's kind of what I was looking looking for. Well, yeah, and I suppose that there are different ways of approaching that in terms of working out the application. For me, that's as far as I got with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, first you, I mean, do you think, though, is, is this what Eric's talking about? Is this an important part of faithful biblical hermeneutics, especially if you're teaching? Or as long as you get to the originally intended meaning and communicate it clearly, is that sufficient? I think yes and no. I think, I think in one sense, that's, that's foundational, right? You, right. Cer certainly if you don't, if you don't do the first thing, the second will be of no value. Mm -hmm. I think, I think we need real wisdom when we start working on application. Mm -hmm. Because I think application can vary from situation to situation and from church to church and from person to person. Uh, you know, I, I think that the applications, are, are, as I said, are, are, are manifold. They have to be done. Uh, and I think maybe that's where it might be helpful even to have like a discussion group after your sermon or something like that where people are 
helping helping the people are working through the applications themselves mm -hmm. uh, too as well. Um, so, but to me and personally, I think that that if we really begin to understand the meaning of the text with the help of the Holy Spirit, then I think that that in itself is almost seventy five percent of where we need to get to to benefit from the, the, the under, from our uh, from the text itself. Um, so, again, I, I'm I'm not a, I'm not a, um, opposed to application. I believe we need to apply it, but I think I think that takes a lot more. Um, it, it varies, in other words, mm -hmm. what I'm saying. But I, but, but I would be more concerned that the congregation understands the meaning of the text first and foremost for themselves, clearly mm -hmm. communicated. And then maybe some general applications, and then you know maybe other ways of performing some more particular applications. Mm -hmm. So let me let me throw this out there, and I I feel like in some ways we're leaving hermeneutics and going to homiletics, but it's hard to separate them since the three of us are all teachers. I sort of have a philosophy in preaching, which is of course grounded in first of all. Uh, teaching the original intended meaning of the author. I mean, we're all, everyone here is in agreement on that. But once I've done that, I really feel like I've not properly preached until I've given the people listening something to do or say, or at least think differently, or at least to confirm something that they're already doing, saying, or thinking. It, it just seems like the, the, yes, uh, if I'm not if I'm not first doing the proper exegesis, right? Nothing else that I say is of any value, and it's probably going to actually do harm. Yeah, it's but all garbage. I, it's all but, garbage if you if don't I, do the first thing. Right, but if I am doing the first thing faithfully, I sort of feel like if you don't go the, that one more step of making it practical in some way, even practical in the mind. I'm not saying it has to be something they do. I don't feel like I've fully preached, but I could be wrong about that. Well, I, I think you were off the air when we mentioned this, that, that we often think of application as act, activities, mm -hmm. action, and it, it may be that, but it may be also just challenging them in a different way of thinking about something. Right. You know, I mean, I, I think, I think, I don't think, and this is maybe my own, this is my, based on my own experience, I don't, I don't think at times we as Christians think deeply enough biblically. <laughs> we don't, and, and I think, that in itself, helping people to think biblically, in itself is an application from the text, you know, and 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 you know, working, helping them to work through application is important. Um, you know, I think I think there's there there's certainly impli implications that come from the text, right? Mm -hmm. There's implications, like for example, one of the implications that came from that passage was, Lou, are, are you praying like this? Okay, you know, as for me anyway. And then there's the significance of the passage. Well, what am I going to do with it? You know, am I am I am I going to do something with the text? Is what you're saying, right? And but do but by do I include thought, right? Because yeah. belief belief is is an essential part of faith. It's not just a matter of what you. I mean, this is Eric just got done going through the epistles of John, and John's constantly going back and forth between what you do and what you believe and doesn't separate them. Right. So I'm not saying by application that it has to be a physical action. It could, it could be an, uh, an action, uh, I'm sorry, an application of the mind or of the heart or of the attitude. Um, uh, my point only was that I think if you haven't given them something, wh whether it's to do, think or say, right. So it could just be in the mind belief or attitude. I feel like if I don't give them something to to do with the text then in some way i've not fully taught it yeah but i i, I agree with you i agree with you but i think my my ballywick really is to help us make sure that we're interpreting the text first and foremost right uh you know application we are going to even what we're doing this year and we're at the conference we're going to have an entire day set aside for exposition which entails application okay and, and mm -hmm. you you don't. You have to exposit the meaning of the text, and that includes implications that rise from it, plus application. Mm -hmm. So I'm not. I don't want you to think that I'm not a, that I'm opposed to application. I think we have to apply the text. I think that's one of the. That's one of the 
the things that requires some, you know, Holy Spirit creativity as well in terms of, you know, your your sense of how you need to apply it in your preaching situation might be not the same as Eric in his preaching situation. Yeah. Lou, I think I I appreciate the because I don't I don't get the take from what you're saying as though you're against application. I think I think what I'm drawing from our conversation is is something that I think we all need to hear, which is be careful because the application is often what people come to hear in and they're putting the cart before the horse. The, the people I I think most people, even people who who love the Lord in, immensely. Right, I think the holiest and the most righteous people um, can even come um, to hear a sermon, and they just they want that last ten percent, man. They just want just tell me what to do, pastor. Just tell me what to do, right? And I think our responsibility as pastors is to say, no, no, no. Here's the feast. It's the word, right? So you're helping them see the richness of God's blessings in His word. And then you're showing them how this unfolds into an application. But that last 10%, is you can't even get there unless you get the rest of it. And if you screw up that 90%, if you screw up anywhere in there, then your application, even if it's just one degree off, you're sending someone in a trajectory where if they're going from North Carolina to the North Pole, they're going to end up in Egypt. Um, so, No, I... I, I... I agree with you there. And, I, and again, I, I do think there's a sense in which you really don't understand the passage unless it has some freight in your thinking and in your living. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it has to go that way. I understand that. But but I also think that that it's it's also sometimes a question of the sufficiency of Scripture. Do you think that you know, Scripture itself is valuable in, in the knowing? You know, in other words... Mm-hmm. Helping people to understand. My my point is, I want to make sure I understand the meaning of the text, so that when I teach it or preach it, I am expositing that meaning to the people. They understand this is coming from the text. Now, I do have a responsibility to work out implications and application. And I do, and 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 I, I value that. But I think also that that sometimes, just really emphasizing with whomever you're teaching this is what the text is saying i mean i was i was kind of blown away as i worked through that passage where it just stuck struck me is that here the apostle paul after he has been teaching on some profound things you know about god's grace and and election and predestination and loving us in christ and you know he 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 immediately twice he begins to pray. And I, I said to myself, why is he doing that? Well, because he knows I'm not going to get it. And so I do need God to help me uh, come alive to the word. And so that that I need to pray about that. I, I, it's to the point that I'm almost desperate, I think. Um, so uh, again, the application is important. Uh, I, don't, I don't have any particular steps as to, okay, how do you do this application? I think again, that's where you know your 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 know your knowledge of the people you're in the Bible study with or your pastoring comes into play. Um, you know, I, I I can't necessarily give a general application that will fit one size fits all. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think that there's some cases where that's the case for sure. But um, yeah, I, again, helping people to think biblically is one of the goals of your preaching. And teaching, so they begin to think what the scripture is saying, and that that affects again their affections mm-hmm. and hopefully their their decisions and choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. So, uh, what's next, Luke? What's next on the agenda? We we just solved I, uh, we just solved the whole uh, the whole issue on application, man. What I'd really like to do, if at all possible is because I we sort of I sort of brought this up last time but we didn't end up having time to get into the weeds. I'd love to try to do a little bit of bad uh uh hermeneutics for a little while because I I think this is and it's not just so that we can be patronizing. I think it's because this is the thing that I really I really didn't understand until I studied hermeneutics properly with like a good solid teacher was I just didn't know how often I was doing it badly and how easy it is to do badly. 
So um, I wonder if maybe we could think of a few, maybe each of us could think of at least one text of scripture, which is we've heard oftentimes mistranslated or sorry, mis, uh, misinterpreted or misapplied. So for example, the, the one that immediately comes to my mind that I hear used all the time and I used to use all the time was uh, where two or more are gathered. Oh, and, uh, right. And, and I'm, and look, I look, you guys are nodding because you've heard it, right? I mean, we, what, let me, let me ask you guys a question and then I'll, I'll tell my quick story. How do you guys usually hear that phrase, which is, of course, taken out of Matthew chapter 18? Um, how do you use it usually used? Out of context. But specifically, what do they mean when they use it? That there's, uh, <clears throat> like, we need to get together because when we're together, God is with us. Right. So I'll tell you, when I was 24, I was teaching a Sunday school class, and I was teaching on that passage, and that's what I taught. Um, and then there, there's a high school kid in the class who pipes up and goes, so does that mean that God's not with us when we're apart? And I went, uh, I had no idea how to answer him. Because I like that was just always the way that I had interpreted that passage, and it made sense to me. And then he asked that one really simple question, and my whole like interpretive framework for that passage fell apart. And I ended up just having to be really honest and go, "That's a great question. I don't know, and I'm not sure what it even means if it doesn't mean what I just said it means." And then and it's funny, like at the time because I should have had the tools by then to know to do this, but at the time I didn't, I just didn't do it. Later on, I'm studying that passage properly, right? Seeking to understand the intended meaning. Uh, and it all made sense because that passage is about church discipline. So when, when, when he says, uh, when Jesus says, where two or more are gathered, there I am with them, he means his authority as a judge. And mm -hmm. suddenly that passage makes sense. Uh, but but it's so funny. Was there Sunday school class was your Sunday school class called Stump the Valedictorian, and did he win a prize? <laughs> and uh, I don't know what it was called, but I, I mean, I was definitely stumped. And but that's a great example of a passage that I think, in my experience, most well-meaning Christians misuse all the time. Mm -hmm. I have another one for you. How about Revelation three twenty? Behold, I send out the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, you know, and opens it up, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. When you hear that passage preached or taught, what's the general way that comes across? I don't know. I've never heard that preached before. No. I mean, usually it's, it says uh, like it, um, it's talking about salvation, right? And Yeah. Yeah. Is that is that not what it means? I'm really embarrassed to say that. Well, I mean, who's he, who's, who's it written to? The churches. Yeah, which church? It's written to the church of Laodicea. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really a call to repentance. It's not necessarily a gospel in terms of you know salvation. Jesus is really calling them to repent. Mm. Mm. And it's it's very similar, I think, to the prayer where. The inner man kind of life. Jesus says, "says open up, you know, I'll come in and sup with you and you with me." He's he's calling for them. He's calling them for to repentance. Man, I think I just got saved. <laughs> it's like the fourth time in two days, man. <laughs> uh, Eric, can you think of one? Yes, oh, but I just want to. I want to acknowledge. Palma said. Good teachers always admit when they do not know the answer. And, you know, I think that really is a compliment uh, to you, Luke. Um, right. I think we need to be as humble as you were in that moment where you go, oh, shoot. <laughs> I wish, I really wish I could say it was out of humility. I think it was just more uh, out of shock that I, that I had never seriously <laughs> asked that question. And then he asked it and I couldn't, it's, it's not, it's not. I mean, I'm certainly I thank you, and I and I praise the Lord for that moment that humbled me. But I don't think it was because of my good attitude as a teacher. I just came up empty. Yeah. Well, it's sometimes those moments that 
uh, eventually they they're used by God to humble us. Yeah. Um, so Luke, the question to me was, uh, you know, the same thing. What's a passage? Um, David and Goliath. David and Goliath is one that is misused all the time. In fact, I'm surprised neither of you came up with that one because I thought it was like the the go-to passage to kind of show how eisegesis can really get into how we interpret scripture. Whereas most people that I've spoken to, in fact, I sat in a sermon one time where um, uh, <clears throat> they the guy preaching relayed the story of David and Goliath to bullies and the, a bully that he had in school. And the guy's name was Bigga. And I remember him just saying like, who's your Bigga? And then know that, know that, um, know that you can take down that Bigga. And I was like, Oh man, that's cool. Yeah. Like this is before I knew how to rightly interpret the Bible. I'm like, yeah, I'm going after Bigga, man. And I was like, you you could that's not a Christian message at all like that that could have been preached that could have, that was just a self help message, um, and the story of David Goliath is not about um, it, it has nothing to do with us being able to overcome our our bullies or or anything like that it it has to do with God's provision and providing a savior for His people, and um, that's what we find in the scriptures not oh you just got to be more like David. No. So, so Lou, I have a follow-up question then. Yeah. For which I I'm genuinely asking. I don't I don't think I have a good answer for this one. Because this because bad hermeneutics are so common in just, you know, Christians. How as a pastor do you address it without coming across as arrogant? Or that's one thing that's that's I find really challenging is because I mean, I, I believe firmly in an exegetical her, hermeneutic. Um, but sometimes I run into, even sometimes like other pastors who don't take that view. And there's a part of me that, that feels like I have a responsibility to try to correct Christians yeah. who don't, don't know this yeah. because they're, they're harming themselves by, by missing the point of so much of the scripture. But then there's a part of me that I think is afraid to because I'm going to end up looking uh, like a know-it-all. Lean into the arrogance. That's what I do. Just lean into it. And then, you know, people either write you off as a jerk or they'll listen. And, you know. Uh, I, that's a good That's a good question. Um, I'm, I'm trying to find the passage. <laughs> Admit that you don't know where the passage is. Well, Paul, uh, it gives Timothy instructions about how to deal with those who resist his teaching. You know, and he, he talks about always with gentleness. You know, it's not your it's not your turf issue. You know, uh, you're there to uh, represent Christ in your teaching and preaching and counseling and in your pastoring work, pastoral work. Um, so I do think again, uh, you got to check your heart first of all. Is is it is it is it a turf issue? Are you, are you trying to, um, you know, come across as a know-it-all or, or not? But I do think I do, do think it, it warrants both humility and gentleness uh, that God might grant repentance. That's the passage, uh, and and a change of mind maybe on their part about the passage or about what they're thinking. Um, it it never it, it doesn't ever it does it never profits if it, you you respond with a spirit of heat or you know venom or whatever. Uh, it's your manner, I think, of approach to people with with a, with, with a sense of gentleness, but with a sense of determination about the need for them to understand scripture. I mean, that's they, people need to be teachable, you know, and and yet you can't make that happen. God has to have that. And sometimes God tests us in that regard. <laughs> you know, there may be more lessons to, to learn than just this person changing his view about this particular passage. Yeah, I may have to learn something about it myself, about how I approach people. Hmm. Uh, so um, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but you, you always have to be informing and instructing and teaching. That's, that's what your calling is, you know, to help people understand the scriptures. And if, if you have a long tenor, tenure, if you're preaching faithfully over many years uh, and handling people lovingly over many years uh, with the truth, I think that people uh, people will begin to see. You want that's why you want kind of the congregation to begin to think biblically. You know that as you preach, you you model biblical thinking, biblical logic. 
mm-hmm. um, biblical reasoning, um, biblical humility, and that that has freight. I think eventually it will. Lou, I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you said. Be in a place for a long period of time, and you have the opportunity to to teach through some of these things. I hear crazy things all the time, and you have to decide which which things you need to address there in the moment and which things you're going to address over the long haul. Right. And right. and if you're not planning to be there for the long haul, then it's going to be a lot more difficult for you to address those things that should be addressed later on. People need to know that you love them. Okay. Um, and then they're willing to, to, to listen to you. And, and I know for me, like at my church, I've been here for a little over two years. Um, I haven't, I haven't shown, I've shown plenty of love, but it hasn't sunk in yet, you know? So it takes time to build that rapport, to build up that love. And, and then you can have those conversations where you can say, Hey, here's, here's a problem, right? Like here's, here's something. Uh-oh. Siri, for some reason, wanted to chime in on the conversation, but um, I, I appreciate that wisdom, Lou. I really do. Oh, can the passages in Second uh, uh, Timothy uh, two, where he says, "And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to keep patiently enduring evil, correcting again, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance." Eric, I've never asked you to do this on the show before, but I just had a brilliant idea. Uh-oh. Will you ask Siri what exegesis is? No, I don't know what she's going to say. <laughs> this is a family show. Uh, Bickford brought up another good example, Jeremiah 29, 11. And I think Jeremiah 29, 11 is the perfect example because the way that I've heard it used is completely the opposite of the actual meaning there in the chapter. Jeremiah is, is tell, you know, reassuring the people of God that there will be redemption after a time of trial but so often that that passage is used to basically say there will be no difficulty or hardship and it's it's the it's perfect because it is the exact opposite of what the passage actually teaches yep well we all probably have fallen into that trap many times Oh gosh. You know, I think of I think of some of the Bible passages that maybe we memorize on a regular basis. And in if you only memorize one or two verses, we can easily fall into that trap. Um, there are probably some things that you that the three of us have in mind where we think of a of a Bible passage and it might not mean what we have long thought it's meant because we haven't studied it as deeply as as maybe we should have or have not yet studied it i mean let's face it luke and i are 33 and and how old are you luke 30 30 so i mean the two of us i lou is lou is older than us if we combine our ages right (laughs) so so about that thank you you're welcome i love telling people how old they are um (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I I just thought about this, Lou, is that you've had a lot longer. You've probably studied the Bible for a lot longer period of time and more deep, deeply than than Luke and I have simply because of time. Right. Like, okay, we've gone to Bible college and have gone to seminary. That doesn't mean you've studied every single verse in all 66 books to its depths. Right. So we have pre we have these. Some things you just hear and you go, okay, I accept that. And you haven't studied it as deeply as maybe you once will. So although we're pulling up these passages about how we can be eisegetical about it and have, you know, be interpreting it wrong, this is what we've seen other people do. Um, there are probably some things in our own lives as we look at the scriptures where, where we jack it up. I'm sure. I'm sure. So I remember I, one of the things I appreciate about Billy Graham um, that I remember reading that he said towards the end of his life that his biggest regret is that he did not study the word of God more. Um, and, and that's just an incredible statement from someone who, you know, preached to more people than anybody else in, in potentially ever. So. I could um, 
we're we're coming up on our hour, and I want to give Lou the last word. Before we do that, I I have one more question that maybe should be for another day, another discussion, because we're not here to talk about New Testament use of the Old Testament. However, I I will bring up anyways, and this is, I I think you guys know I'm, you know, sold completely on uh, this exegetical hermeneutic. I, I really, I really am convinced it is the the way that we ought to study Scripture. The only objection that remains in my own mind is when I read the way that New Testament authors quote and use the Old Testament. It's not remotely exegetical, or at least it doesn't seem that way to me. So um, we don't have to start a whole new discussion. But Lou, maybe just a. a brief remark from you on whether my perception of that is even accurate. Well, I would say this, that there, there, are, there are a couple of different texts, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, um, even read across one this morning from John about Isaiah seeing the glory of, of Christ. Um, so I think if you look at the Old Testament's trajectory, okay, that, that, that it is Christological. And that doesn't mean that every every uh, Old Testament prophet saw clearly the trajectory. A good example would be uh, Isaiah seven fourteen: For unto us is born the, no a, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. All right. Uh, uh, for each, and and then Matthew quotes that and as as is being fulfilled in the birth of Christ. You have other passages like that, and I think. Again, we don't have time to get into it, like you say, but I do think that two things. I think that the trajectory of progressive revelation comes into play, and I don't think that's contrary to good exegesis. I think it it, it really exegesis takes us there. That's an exegetical conclusion, and I think the place of typology comes into play. The way the old the New Testament handles the Old Testament, Jesus himself uh, at post-resurrection. Uh, Luke 24, you know, uh, <laughs> opens their minds and teaches them from Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nehubim, the Ketubim, the Hebrew Bible. Now, it doesn't mean that every single passage has a direct link to Christ, but if you if you if you think of the trajectory of biblical of a biblical narrative, it brings us there. Christ is the fulfillment of those things. So I think that um, I, would, I would much rather say, okay, in my exegesis of the Bible, I need to take into consideration how the New Testament does handle the Old Testament and, and not say, okay, that's not exegetically sound because it doesn't follow this, the particular logics of exegesis that might work for any other book. Hmm. All right? So I think, again, trajectory, keep that in mind, and the place of typology. Hmm. Eric, anything else from you? Um, no, I mean, every time I hear, uh, Lou speak, I feel like I've, I need to pay him money because of how, <laughs> I mean, he, he, you know, you'd think he taught in Bible college. I mean, he's just so good. So, um, I appreciate what you have to Lou have to say, Lou. Um, I do want to share something with our audience because I just got an email and it pops up because I'm an idiot and I left my email open. However, my idiocy could lead to your game. Lou, are you a fan of J. Gresham Machen? Yes. So J. Gresham Machen, the founder of your seminary where you went to school, Westminster Theological Seminary and the OPC, um, his systematic theology, Things Unseen, oh. is on sale 45% off at Westminster Theological Bookstore. There you um, go. So you need to go – like I don't care who you are. Go buy it. I haven't read it yet, but I'm sure it's excellent. Um, I'm going to put a link down here. There's a number of books that just came on sale that I got the email about, including Gentle and Lowly. If you don't read anything else this year, read your Bible and then read Gentle and Lowly. Um, and then there's also, you might've heard me talk about Herman Bavinck quite a bit. I know Luke is a huge Herm Herman Bavinck fan. Um, but Bavinck's biography, uh, the recent one, it's a critical biography. I bought it for like, 40 bucks man like it was super expensive it's pretty thick on sale right now 26.99 go learn some bavink there you go oh. learn dutch first though so 
Well, yeah. it's in English, so you don't have to worry about the Dutch. And um, most of it, or his best works are probably in English. So I got, I get his reformed dogmatics behind me. Um, I got, yeah. There's, Lou, probably, any, there's more pages in the reformed dogmatic set than uh, Lou, Luke has read all year. Lou, anything else you'd like to say on this subject? Uh, no, I guess we, we've kind of covered this a lot more we could have gone on uh, into. And I just encourage people if they want to join us. Uh, uh, we start on the 16th of uh, this month. as our first presentation I'll be doing on this very topic. Uh, it'll be really general, uh, you know, for preliminary presuppositions and principles to hermeneutics. So we'll cover some more stuff there. Mm -hmm. Please sign up. Uh, I guess the link was put out uh, last week. And uh, Yeah, Eric, would you mind dropping that again? Just in case there's anyone who didn't hear us uh, last you. week. I don't get the link readily available. No. Okay. Never. No, but I thank will, you. I will drop it. I'll drop it in the comment section as soon as we get off. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity, guys. Appreciate it, though. Thanks for coming on the show, Lou. You're welcome. Guys, you have been the best guest all year. Did you know that, Lou? <laughs> I mean, you far better than anybody else we've had on uh, this year. It's kind of like when I was told I had a face for radio, so I can, I can. <laughs> you know what, Lou? Depending on whether you start a decade in zero or one, you might be the best guest of this decade. I might be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, take care. We love you. We will see you. Well, I will see you next week with a special co-host. Yep. Someone far better than than Luke, that's for sure. God bless you guys. Take care. And I think what it, it doesn't narrow the field very much. Luke, what did we say that that me and this guest are going to be talking about next week? Is it uh, how to engage the LGBTQ oh, community, the alphabet people? Yes. So, um, yeah. So it should be really fun. Somewhat controversial, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. God bless you guys. Take care. Bubble and Vanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bubble and Vanta. Yeah, 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 yeah!